Michael, good morning. A pleasure as always. Good morning. Always great to be here. Lots of discussion about a recent finding by the B.C. Court of Appeal. I am very interested to hear your take on all this. Uh, and it's a really interesting case that uh, deals with some fundamental issues about the role of the court and when injunctions should be granted. Uh, and so I, I really do, I agree. I think it's worth spending some time uh, talking about some of the foundational issues and um, clarifications of the law that we've received from the uh, Court of Appeal uh, in the uh, uh, appeal of the decision about the injunction uh, prohibiting uh, conduct with respect to teal cedar products. Yes. And so the the first part of it, I think, is really important, that the court sets out sort of the fundamental constitutional division between the court and the uh, provincial government and who has responsibility to decide what. Um, and I, I think, uh, well, there should be something that people should come out of an understanding uh, of uh, uh, when they graduate from high school or something. There, there appears to be a, an ongoing misunderstanding about what the role of the court is and what discretion they've got in deciding some of these issues. Yeah. And, and the court begins with that. At the second par- paragraph of their judgment, they indicate this. Say, this case is not about the wisdom of government forest policy. This is decidedly not about the court's view on whether uh, old growth logging should occur in the province or, or even in the context of climate change. In an injunction application, those matters are outside of the constitutional competence of the courts and exclusively within the constitutional purview of the government elected by the citizens of British Columbia. And so the, this is, I think, just fundamental to what's going on. Yeah. Right. There is no uh, circumstance uh, in which, uh, no matter how compelling you think a particular issue like this might be, you know whether there should be logging in a particular place, for example, whereby you're going to be able to uh, succeed in making your argument in court. Those are policy decisions. Those are decisions for the government. Yes. Uh, and you're not going to get anywhere. Uh, breaching orders or going to court to argue about whether there should be old growth logging or not, uh, that is squarely within the purview of the elected government. That's why we elect people. Yes. Um, and the court then goes on to say this case is rather about the principles that apply when a court is asked to enjoin significant and persistent unlawful conduct by those who choose to abandon the democratic process and impose their will on others by force. This is the nature of the conduct sought to be addressed by the injunction, not peaceful protests that occur within the law. There is a clear demarcation between that type, the type of conduct displayed in this case and the actions of lawful protesters who use peaceful means to persuade the government to change policy. And that's how the court is analyzing everything else here. Okay. This is also interesting, right? The court goes on to say, look, the unlawful conduct uh, uh, in the teal cedar seeks to enjoin is not in dispute. And this was really at the core of the appeal, Hmm. right? The respondents, right? The rainforest flying squad uh, made up of unknown persons. The respondents argue that the injunction was not required because the conduct is criminal in nature and can be dealt with under the criminal code. And then they cite the various things that the respondents agree are criminal damaging property, rendering property dangerous, obstructing or interfering with the use of property, mischief that causes actual danger to life, and blocking or obstructing a highway. And then they list all of the sections dealing with that. And at the core, 
of the way the case was uh, analyzed by the judge that didn't renew the injunction was this idea that, look, because the conduct is criminal, uh, it's not necessary for there to be uh, an injunction put in place. Uh, and the judge, in fact, talked about how they thought, the trial judge mm-hmm. talked about how he thought, well, this is just going to be dealt with by way of the police enforcing the uh, criminal law. Yeah. And the Court of Appeal carefully analyzed that approach uh, and found that at, at its core, one of the two serious errors that the judge made in not renewing the injunction uh, was that the judge considered the availability of criminal charges as a reason not to grant the injunction. Yes. And in that regard, the Court of Appeal uh, looked at uh, both the principle and the actual history of that. Uh, And there is authority dealing with that concept, and there's history of that in the province of British Columbia. And first of all, the court pointed out that, uh, of course, back dealing with uh, Macmillan Bloedel and the uh, Clackwatt protests at that time, for example, Uh The B.C. Attorney General had a specific policy not to lay criminal charges with respect to conduct that might be criminal concerning environmental groups and instead left it to parties to seek injunctive relief. And so there's an actual history of the uh, there being an official policy. Don't we're just going to leave this to individuals. But the core legal point that the Court of Appeal uh, made clear uh-huh. um, is that When you have a a private party like the uh, Teal Cedar Products uh, who is being prevented from engaging in lawful conduct by people who are doing things that are criminal, right, destroying the road and so forth, um, that that, that Teal Cedar uh, doesn't have any control over whether the police are going to enforce the criminal law or indeed whether the uh, provincial attorney general is going to prosecute people, right? And for example, in the McMillan Bloedel circumstance, right, they the province had a policy: we're not going to prosecute these people. Mm-hmm. And so, it cannot be that in a place governed by the rule of law, the provincial government, for various political reasons, right, or the police for whatever reasons they might uh, have, given their broad general discretion, can prevent somebody from enforcing their lawful rights such that you're left to the, uh, you know, mob ruling about whether you're permitted to do something or not. Well, that's why we have separate Uh, courts, to keep those who write the legislation separate from those who interpret it. That's right. They're separate. And they also made the point, of course, that the conduct of the police is separate from the conduct of the court. Police aren't uh, an arm of the court. Ultimately, they're answerable to the executive, right? Oh, you could have direction in terms of what they're doing, so that's not the court. But the point is that the fact that the conduct might also be criminal and the fact that uh, in some cases the police might choose to uh, enforce the criminal law or that the province might choose to prosecute people uh, is not a reason why a party can't come to uh, the court and say, look, I want an injunction stopping this mob of people from engaging in conduct which is unlawful and preventing us from doing what we are lawfully permitted to do. Uh, That is not an appropriate uh, approach. And so the Court of Appeal has made clear that that argument, that there must be some sort of gap that has to be filled in. Yeah, the enforcement gap. Right. That's not an appropriate consideration when deciding whether uh, an injunction should be granted. Right. The fact that 
the police might choose to enforce some criminal conduct, and the conduct might also be criminal, and the fact that the Crown might choose to prosecute that criminal conduct uh, is not an answer when somebody comes and says, look, I'm being uh, prevented from engaging in lawful uh, activity here by a, a mob of people that are blocking the road. The a judge is not, uh, should not, the Court of Appeal has made clear, uh, use the fact that while the conduct, that the fact that the conduct is also criminal is not a reason uh, to uh, avoid granting the injunction uh, to prohibit uh, the conduct. Mm-hmm. And the Court of Appeal made clear that you know, the criminal law can be slow and can be a blunt instrument, uh, and injunctive relief can uh, provide uh, sort of a specific uh, conditions, for example, things like an exclusion zone, stay away from some area, right? Not allow yeah. people to walk right up to the road with the, uh, you know, pitchfork or explosives or whatever they've got. Um, you don't have to wait. You could have, uh, you know, conditions put in place designed to prevent the problem uh, before it happens. And then this is really the core of it, right? Yeah. The Court of Appeal says it is not tenable uh, in a democracy for a group to abandon the democratic process and impose their will on others by force. Yep. In a complex, pluralistic society, the democratically elected government makes laws, and the courts interpret and uphold them. Barring constitutional overreach, the laws and decisions flowing from them are to be respected and enforced. Protest is part of a healthy democracy. Criminal conduct is not. In the circumstances of this case, the injunction is all that stands between Teal Cedar and a highly organized group of individuals who are intent on breaking the law to get their way. That the criminal law may be used in such, circumstance, in such circumstances remains a possibility, but is, it is within the control of Teal Cedar, uh, nor the courts to compel the police uh, or the BC Prosecution Service to charge and prosecute offenders under the criminal code. And so that is one of the other reasons why an injunction like this can be granted, right? When you're uh, you know, rights are being trampled upon by people who have decided to uh, ignore the law because they feel strongly about something. Um, you are not compelled to hope that the police uh, will exercise their discretion to enforce the law or indeed that the uh, provincial government, the attorney general, will exercise their discretion to prosecute those people, right? Those are decisions that are beyond your control. And in some cases, as we've seen in B.C., the Provincial Prosecution Service has exercised their discretion not to prosecute people, right? That may be for political reasons. It may be because they think it will be helpful for uh, reconciliation. There can be a wide range of reasons why uh, the Prosecution Service might simply decline to prosecute people even where they are engaged in activity that is manifestly criminal. Yes. Uh, And we've seen uh, tension develop there between the Uh, B.C. Supreme Court and the Provincial Prosecution Service, the Attorney General effectively, um, over uh, decisions to not prosecute uh, even criminal contempt uh, uh, allegations. Yes. Uh, And so the point the court is making is that um, at the end of the day, the court does not make the decision about policy, right? They don't decide whether, you know, Teal Cedar Products is going to be permitted to engage in logging, right? That's a decision, that's a provincial political decision, right? But the court will make sure uh, that that law is enforced. And so you will not get anywhere uh, in court going and arguing about the merits of logging policy. You're in the wrong forum, right? You're at the wrong building. 
there's a building for that. It's full of people who we've elected to make those decisions. You're not going to make that argument successfully uh, in court, right? Go to the legislature, work yeah. for the next election, protest, whatever you want to do over there. Those are the people making the policy decision. But the court will uh, ensure that the law is upheld and respected. Uh, and there will not be a circumstance, the Court of Appeal has made clear, where a private person or party or corporation or whoever it might be is going to be just run over by a group of people who have decided they don't like the democratic decision that's been made because they feel strongly about something. Uh, And it's not going to be a matter of saying, well, it's also criminal, so you better hope the police decide to enforce the law and you better hope that the attorney general decides to prosecute the people. And if they don't, you're simply out of luck. If that were so, right, it would be the rule by mob. Well, and that's right? what they're trending towards. You know, Teal Cedar wouldn't be the end. You know, I'd be targeted. Others would be targeted. Anybody who opposes them, you get a bunch of people together and you decide by force to try to stop them from doing what they have the lawful right to do. Society breaks down pretty quick. Yes. And we've also seen, of course, protests that involve parties other than the person you're unhappy with. Right. Like yep. one of the cases where there's been real friction about the uh, attorney general not prosecuting people was a circumstance where protesters over a gas pipeline decided they were going to block the port of Vancouver, Yep, who had nothing to do with the gas pipeline. They just thought they could get some attention by doing that. Yep. Right? Or, for example, the people that have decided that they're going to crazy glue themselves to the Trans-Canada <laughs> Highway to try to draw attention to, you know, a topic they think is just really important. Right? Yep. The people who are get, are being obstructed by the crazy loot individuals or the Port of Vancouver that's obstructed by people blocking them have nothing to do with the dispute. They're just being used as a way to try to get attention. Uh, and the court has made crystal clear uh, that uh, private individuals are free uh, to seek injunctions to ensure that their rights aren't being uh, trampled upon uh, by people who are engaged in that kind of conduct. Uh, and you are not uh, helplessly required to wait to see whether the attorney general thinks it's politically expedient to prosecute the people or whether they think that that might interfere with uh, reconciliation efforts or whatever other various valid political considerations the provincial government might have. Um, you can go to court. Uh, you don't need to have a physical fight with the people who are gluing themselves to the ground or trying to block your access to your business, right? We have a legal remedy for it. Uh, And it's not going to be an answer that the conduct might also be criminal. Uh, And so uh, those fundamental principles are just really important. The judgment is worth reading. Uh, And also for those um, just things you would expect people to know, but apparently people are unaware of just in terms of how these decisions are made. The policy decision is not made by the court. The judge doesn't decide whether logging is going to be permitted. But once the law has been passed permitting the logging, the court is going to make sure that that's going to be enforced, right? Otherwise, the wheels have just come completely off the bus, right? And we are all at the mercy of the strong, right? Or the people who are prepared to glue themselves to something because they really want something to happen. That's not how it works. Uh, And so, it's, I think it, it's a judgment that is worth reading, right? It's not yep. that legally complicated. Uh, it's one that I think people would uh, find interesting, right? Because it deals with these just important public policy issues, but informative as well, 
so that uh, when people do feel strongly about a particular topic or a desired outcome, they point themselves in the right direction. You're, you're pointed in the wrong direction if you think that you're going to get a, a remedy for your problem by digging up the road and hanging from a tree and hoping you're going to go to court and persuade some judge that all those things are fine. That's not how it works. It will never work. If you, if you have, a, if you have a, something you feel strongly about, make sure that you direct your policy arguments to the people who make the policy decisions. That's not the judge, right? The judge and the courts will make sure that law is enforced. They will do that. Uh, and if you feel strongly about something, direct your legitimate concerns to the people who make the policy decisions. Uh, you're in the wrong place uh, if you think you're going to uh, sort it out uh, by, you know, blowing up the road or something uh, and then having a, uh, a legal dispute with the forest company. You're just in the wrong place and you're pointed in the wrong direction. Um, and so there are big and important issues here, and it is a judgment which I would urge people to uh, have a read of. It's not that long, it's not that complicated, uh, and the principles in there are really important, and they affect all of us. Michael Bolligan, legally speaking on CFAX 1070, folks, he's the lawyer, listen to him, he's absolutely correct. Quick break, back after this. All right, back on the air here, legally speaking, with Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers. We have four minutes and 15 seconds left in today's segment. Michael? Sure. Well, I think we can end on a bit of a lighter note with a dispute that's been sorted out concerning a luxury condominium development in Victoria called the Black and White. Hmm. Uh, that particular development uh, is up on Fort Street, apparently. I think I've driven past it. Uh, and the building was marketed as the height of luxury, including various things like a uh, access to a right-sizing consultant to help you eliminate your junk when you move from a house into the condominium. Uh, sommelier on call. Uh, and a, a promise of a, a luxury BMW uh, electric car for use by all the people living in the building. Uh, things with respect to the electric car went off the rails and wound up uh, in court, uh, the issue being that the uh, developer had leased the car uh, and had assigned the responsibility to pay the lease to the Strata Corporation before the Strata Corporation was turned over to the owners who eventually purchased the building. And the building sold out, apparently, so uh, people seem to like that idea. Uh -huh. But the Strata Corporation decided that they didn't want to have to pay for the car, uh, and so uh, didn't, uh, resulting in the uh, developer cancelling the lease and suing the Strata Corporation over the uh, cost of paying for the car, uh -huh. the cost of the lease. Uh, and uh, the uh, case wound up in court where the Strata Corporation made various arguments like, uh, we weren't told about the lease of the car, or we didn't have a vote about the lease of the car, uh, none of which got any traction, because the way it works is that when a developer develops a property, they would incorporate the Strata Corporation. They're in control of both entities, uh, and uh, while they were controlling both companies, the uh, Strata Corporation entered into the agreement to take over the responsibility to pay for the lease of the electric car for all the people in the building to use. Uh, and it's just so, one? Just one. I, I'm just sorry, one. I misunderstood this. I thought it was a car per suite or something. This is over one car. Just over one car. Well, okay. now there's no car because the Strata <laughs> wouldn't pay for it. Okay. And so the car got returned, and now the Strata Corporation are gonna, is going to be responsible for the 15000 and some odd dollars in costs that, that incurred. On the upside, for all the people that are uh, enjoying their sommelier services and right-sizing consultant, it doesn't look like there's any dispute over the 
women-style electric bike with a very low seat on it that also is displayed on the uh, promotional material. And so uh, there will be, it looks like, an electric bike available, uh, which would be suitable for anyone who's decided that they want to wear a long dress while riding the electric bike, as long as they're not too tall. So no electric car, (laughs) but uh, an electric bike. Uh, And the, uh, I guess, the takeaway legal message uh, is that uh, there can be uh, legal obligations uh, that a uh, strata corporation has uh, undertaken, um, uh, and uh, you can't get out of them by simply saying that I didn't know about them or I don't want them or uh, we didn't vote on them. Uh, and so, uh, if you're buying into a uh, a new property, you'd be well advised to you know look carefully at what all the various uh, elements and uh, accoutrements might be. Uh, and uh, in this case, one of those accoutrements was supposed to be a shared electric BMW, uh, but uh, given the uh, litigation, uh, there's no car, and so uh, I guess there's an extra parking spot, maybe a place to put the uh, uh, the electric bike. The communal bike. The communal bike. All right. I, uh, yeah, that's it. So <laughs> Very black, well. Black and white, enjoy your wine, uh, but uh, no car. <laughs> Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers. I learn new things every single week on Legally Speaking. Michael, thank you for the benefit of your insight and analysis as always. Thank you so much. Always great to be here. All right. Have a great day. Bye now.